Amen. Thank you, Brogan. And a massive welcome to St. Thomas's from me as well. It is wonderful to see you here this morning. Now, one of the things we love to do at St. Thomas's is to study the Bible together. So if you have got a Bible with you, please could you open it to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, you might want to turn one on on your phone or your tablet just so that you can follow along through these verses and make sure that I am actually teaching you. Uh, God's Word this morning, rather than just making it up. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be starting at verse 36, and we're going to read through to verse 53. So Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 36. Now, just some context to this. Jesus has just been raised from the dead. The disciples have been encountering Jesus, and some of the disciples have just had a profound encounter with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and he's Jesus has just had the most amazing conversation with them. We're picking up the story in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still, not did, while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to all of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So for the past few weeks, we've been looking at the letter of 1 John as we've been exploring together as a family what it means for God to be building community among us here in Newcastle. And of course, building community is what we're all about here at St. Thomas's. It's part of our vision statement, along with following Jesus and loving Newcastle and the region that God has called us to. So since January, we've looked at loving Newcastle, building community, and following Jesus. For the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some really important events in the life of the early church and some really crucial teachings of the church that continue to this day that should really radically transform, challenge, and change the way that we live our lives today. So this week, we're going to look at the doctrine of the ascension. It's often overlooked. It's often not talked about, but it is absolutely crucial to our understanding of the gospel. Next week is Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to be looking at, Lee's going to be teaching us um, about what Pentecost means for us today as the Holy Spirit fell on the first disciples. 
And then in two weeks' time, Brogan is going to be unpacking the doctrine of the Trinity for us on Trinity Sunday as we look at the most fundamental truth in the universe, that there is one God in three persons. And that dictates everything that we know to be true about the universe, about humanity, and about God. So we're going to be looking at these three really important teachings over the next three weeks. Today, though, we're looking at the ascension. Now, we have relatively recently celebrated Easter. And we know, don't we, as disciples of Jesus, that the resurrection of Jesus changed absolutely everything. But the ascension also changed everything. And so the question I want us to be asking today as we go through these verses in Luke 24, what difference does Jesus' ascension make to me today? What difference does Jesus' ascension make to us as a church community today? So we're going to explore this as we look at these verses together, 36 through to 53, and we'll look at the ascension in the context of these verses that Luke gives us. Now, before we do that, we've been praying a prayer together at the start of every talk for the past few weeks, a prayer that Brogan um, has written. We're going to be using the set prayer in the Anglican Communion to help us prepare our hearts to receive God's Word at the start of every talk for the next three weeks. So can I invite you to stand where you are? And this prayer is going to come up on the screen, and we're going to pray this together. This is the prayer for Ascension. Ascension Day was on Thursday, and so this was the set prayer that was prayed by millions and millions of Christians all over the world on Thursday, and we're praying it again today. So let's pray. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that as we believe your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into the heavens... So we in heart and mind may also ascend and with him continually dwell, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. So keep your Bibles open. Let's look at verse 36 together. So Luke tells us that the ascension happened while they were still talking about all of this, Luke says. Talking about what? Well, if you back up through the gospel a little bit, you'll see that the disciples have been talking to one another about the resurrection. They've been talking to one another about the meal of bread and wine that they've just had with Jesus. They've been talking about this conversation that they've had with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And while they were talking about all of this, Jesus appeared among them for what would be the final time before he ascended to heaven. So what happens now in these verses is absolutely crucial because it's the last thing, the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before the ascension. They're of paramount importance. Now look at what Jesus first says to his disciples when he appears to them. Peace be with you. Why are these the first words that Jesus chose to say? Well, peace was what the angels sang to the shepherds before Jesus was born. Peace was what Jesus told his disciples to proclaim when he sent out the 72. Peace is what Jesus left his disciples the night before he died. And peace, again, is what Jesus says to his disciples here. In other words, peace is a key 
message of the gospel. It's a key ingredient of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you like. Lots of the New Testament letters either begin or end with peace. Peace is something that we should be praying for right now in the Middle East, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We need to be crying out to the Lord for peace. We should be praying for peace in our city, in this region. Peace is really important. Now, now when Jesus says, peace be with you to the disciples here in these verses, he's saying something really specific. Jesus isn't just using this as a way to say, hello. When Jesus proclaims peace, what he's saying is that evil has been defeated. What he's saying is that chaos will bow the knee at the name of Jesus, that everything that is wrong on this planet will one day be restored because of Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension, which is about to happen. That is what peace is. It's the victory and it's the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Now, what's extraordinary, I think, about Jesus saying peace to his disciples here is that he offers them peace, even though just days earlier they desert him at the cross They doubt his promises, and in many ways, they completely let him down. And yet Jesus still says, peace. In J.C. Ryle, who um, was the Bishop of Liverpool um, many years ago, he wrote a commentary on Luke, and on this verse, he wrote this in his commentary. Where is the sinner, however great their sins, who needs to be afraid of going to a saviour such as this. In the hand of Jesus, there is mercy enough to spare. And this is why we can have peace, because Jesus is that kind of grace-filled, redemptive, amazing God. It's because of the events that preceded these verses, the resurrection, and the event of our passage today, the ascension, that we can have peace. Now if we continue through the verses, look at verse 37. The disciples have been startled by Jesus and Luke tells us that they think that they have seen a ghost. Now you probably might think the same thing as well. If you'd, you, know, you were struggling to believe that Jesus really had raised from the dead and you suddenly saw him in front of you, your immediate thought might not be, oh Jesus has raised from the dead. Your first thought might be that you're hallucinating or you're seeing a ghost or something. But look at what Jesus says to them in verses 38 to 41. Don't think that I'm a ghost. Don't let these doubts rise in your mind. Look at me, Jesus says. I am real. Touch me. And so the disciples touched him. And they begin, their perspective begins to shift. But look at verse 41. They're so overcome with joy and amazement that they still didn't believe. It's almost now as if it's too good to be true. They've gone from being completely skeptical to now thinking that this is way too good to be true. They're so full of joy, they're so full of amazement that they still don't believe that it's real. They've gone from doubting, thinking that Jesus was a ghost, to being overcome with amazement and joy, as if it is too good to be true. Now, in verses 42 and 43, Jesus eats a meal with them. Just a very simple meal, just a piece of fish. And it's at that moment that they believe. When I was reading this um, earlier in the week, I think Monday or Tuesday, I was thinking, gosh, this might be a little bit like the sequence of events that happens to us when social distancing finally lifts. 
you know, we think, oh, it's never going to happen. We really doubt it. And then it's going to happen sometime soon. And it's going to be so amazing. We're going to be filled with so much joy that we might think it's actually too good to be true. And then we'll finally sit down and eat a meal together. And that's when it will all make sense. Because we were made to be with one another. This is what happens here in the gospel. They eat a meal together with Jesus and suddenly it all makes sense again. Now this is really important. Some people will tell you that the resurrection is just a spiritual truth. In the sense of, you know, it's just a spiritual idea. It's something to give you hope. It's not that Jesus rose from the dead physically that's important. It's just the idea of Jesus being alive in your mind. What really matters is that Jesus is alive to you. Or what really matters is that Jesus' teaching is continually resurrected, if you like. It continually lives on in the lives of his disciples. Well, if that really is the case, then the resurrection of Jesus changes absolutely nothing. It's just a nice idea. It offers us no hope. It offers us no it offers us nothing concrete. It's just a nice idea that we might be able to, if we've got enough hope in it, latch ourselves onto. You see, in Christianity, in the Bible, the idea of the body is very important. We are not just a soul. A soul with no body is known in popular culture as what? A soul with no body is known as a, a ghost. So we're not ghosts. A body without a soul, though, is known in popular culture as what? A zombie, yeah. Neither are we zombies. Christians are not ghosts, and Christians are not zombies. You cannot separate yourself from your body. You are your body. You will have a physical body for eternity. And this is why we should look after them and not fill them with rubbish and treat them really badly and all of that kind of thing. In Christianity, we believe that God himself, in the person of Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. This stuff is really important. It's why when I was watching the FA Cup final the last few minutes of it yesterday, I got quite emotional just seeing all of those people being together because we believe in a bodily we believe in a bodily faith. The body really matters. And so the fact that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a physical resurrection, a bodily resurrection, is absolutely fundamental to us. Because if Jesus was resurrected, bones and all, then we'll be resurrected, bones and all. The resurrection seals this truth, but the ascension also points us to our future as well. Here at St. Thomas's, as you know, we are an Anglican church. And what Anglican churches believe um, is written down in something called the 39 Articles um, of Religion. You can find them if you just Google 39 Articles, you'll be taken to the Church of England website. And this is the official doctrine of the church. Article 4 of the 39 Articles puts it like this. Christ truly rose again from death and took again his body with flesh, bones, and all that belongs to the completeness of man's nature. In this body, he ascended into heaven, where he is now seated until the last day when he will return to judge all people. We can be confident of our resurrection because of Jesus' resurrection. 
we can be confident of our future, that Jesus will take us with, with him to where he's gone because of the ascension. Now, one of the other things that we see about all of this, the resurrection, the ascension, um, in these verses is that the resurrection and ascension were promised by the Bible. They were promised in the Old Testament. They were promised by God's word. Look at what Jesus says to the disciples in verse 44. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And verse 46, he told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. In other words, for Jesus, all of the Bible, all of the Old Testament points to and is about Jesus. It is all about him. Jesus is on every single page. Every single book points to Jesus. Now, in the early church, there was a heresy called Marcionism. And Marcion was a very interesting person in the early church. He believed that Jesus was the Savior, but he completely rejected the Old Testament as the Word of God. Now, before we write that off as some problem that was dealt with in the, in the early centuries of Christianity, I suspect that lots of us do this even today. We might, we might not be professing disciples of Marcion. We might not be professing Marcionites, but we only ever read the New Testament. We have this rather odd view that the God of the Old Testament is angry and nasty, but the God, God of the New Testament is all love and peace. Well, clearly, if Jesus is right here in Luke's gospel, that is just plain wrong. Jesus quoted the Old Testament like a lot. Like every, every page of the Gospels, you'll see Jesus referring to the Old Testament, quoting the Psalms, quoting the prophets, quoting Moses. And here, Jesus says it a number of times in Luke 24, the whole of the Old Testament, Jesus says, is really about him. So don't believe the lie that there's two different gods, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Jesus is all the way through the Old Testament. And what Jesus is saying here is you won't understand the resurrection, the ascension, or everything, that, everything that the Old Testament points to unless you actually get stuck into and read the word of God. Now the verse that I really want us to take note, note of in this little section is verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Matthew Poole, in his commentary on Luke, says this about this verse. He did not open their understanding without the scriptures. He sends them there. He goes on to say, The devil cheats those whom he persuades to drive away from the scriptures in expectation of teaching only by the Spirit. The Spirit teaches by, not without, and not contrary to, the holy scriptures. In other words, it's back to what James was saying just a few weeks ago in our series on building community when we looked at what it means to be an anointed community. It's the Word and the Spirit together. It's those two things that are such a crucial part of our DNA here at St. Thomas's. It's Word and Spirit. He opened their minds so they could understand 
the scriptures. I can remember when I first started reading the Bible, you know, when the penny just begins to drop and you suddenly begin to understand the gospel and Jesus' love for you and all of the amazing truths about who God is. Understanding comes through the word of God. It's the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. It reveals who Jesus is. A challenge for us today is to take verse 45 and to pray this every day this week. Lord, open my mind so that I can understand the scriptures. So the disciples are given peace. They've been given the truth about who Jesus is. And so what are they then to do as a result of the peace and truth of Jesus? We'll look at verses 47 and 48. Jesus says, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached. So Luke says, the repentance of the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus says to them, you are witnesses of these things. In other words, if the disciples have the peace that Jesus offers, if they have the truth that's been revealed about Jesus in his word, then they're not going to be able to do anything but preach the name of Jesus. And the same is true for us here in the Northeast. If we know the peace that Jesus offers, if we know the truth that the word points us to, then we're not going to be able to do anything. We won't be able to help ourselves except for to speak the name of Jesus right across this region, in our workplaces, down our streets, in our university campuses, in our schools, everywhere we will speak the name of Jesus. Now this is why in verse 49, Jesus says that he's going to send the Holy Spirit on them and that they must wait in Jerusalem until they've been clothed with power from on high. Now this is something that Lee will take us through in more detail next week as we look at Pentecost. This is a promise, again, in the Old Testament that God will pour out his spirit on all people. That God will pour out his spirit and they'll be clothed with power from on high. And this power is going to make them different people. As Lee said last week, the very same power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That's what makes preaching the name of Jesus possible. It's that which means we can go out and heal the sick. All of the things that Jesus tells us to do. But it's also only possible, going out into all nations is also only possible because of the ascension. We can only do this stuff because of the ascension. Now let's just back up a little bit and think about what is the good news of Jesus when most people are asked that question, what is the good news of, of Jesus, we often talk about Jesus' death and we talk about Jesus' resurrection, but we never mention the ascension. And yet when the first disciples proclaim the gospel of Jesus, they always talk about the death of Jesus, his resurrection and his ascension. So that should get us asking the question, why is it so important? Why is the ascension so important for me and for you as we go about living our lives? It's really important because sharing the good news of Jesus and doing the things that Jesus did is only possible because of the ascension. 
Now, often we read the Bible, we'll read the Gospels and think, gosh, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have been John or Peter or one of the Marys? You know, one of those people that spent lots of time with Jesus. Wouldn't it have been amazing to have been one of his first followers and to have been near him, to watch him work his miracles, to see him take those loaves and fish and divide them and feed 5,000 people just with a bit of food? And yet the truth is, we are much better off than any of them because of the ascension. Now the reason that we're better off is firstly because we have Jesus forever. Now how is this the case? If, you know, if this really is the case, why were the, gospels, why were the disciples so perplexed at all of the events that were going on here? Well, if you know the story of Jesus' resurrection, if, you're cast, if you cast your mind back to, to, to the resurrection day, John's Gospel, for example, when Mary sees the risen Jesus and she runs towards him and she wants to hug him. And Jesus basically says to her in John's Gospel, don't touch me, for you don't know where I'm going. It is much better for you that I go there. Now, when we read that, I often think that's a little bit harsh of Jesus. Like Mary has been so desperate, has been waiting for, Jesus, for something to happen. She suddenly sees that Jesus is alive. She runs towards him, goes to hug him, and Jesus says, don't touch me. It seems really harsh. And yet it really, truly was much better for Mary that Jesus ascended into heaven. And the reason that that's the case is because when Mary had Jesus on the earth with her. Mary could only have been near Jesus when she was physically near him. She only had access to him when they were in the same vicinity. And now, because Jesus has ascended into heaven, Mary can have access to Jesus whenever and wherever she is. And it's because of that truth that we have it way better than the disciples did. Now, I think that the disciples cottoned onto this and they knew eventually that this would be the case. We see, don't we, in these verses, verses 51 through to 53, that instead of being sad about Jesus' ascension, instead of mourning the fact that Jesus had gone up to heaven, they praise God. And we should too. One commentary that I read this week put it like this. His ascension marked a stage in his revelation, but it only brought him nearer to us. To have lingered among the early disciples would have limited his mission and sequestered him from the later church. And here's the, here's the key thing. As the resurrection opened the grave, the ascension opened heaven. As the resurrection opened the grave, the ascension opened heaven. One bishop wrote this, By the ascension, all the parts of life were brought together in the oneness of their common destination. By the ascension, Christ in his humanity is brought close to every single one of us. He is not only present with us as ascended, he is active for us. We believe that he sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. So firstly, we get access to Jesus wherever and whenever we are. Jesus' ministry now has a cosmic scope. 
Jesus is still doing everything that he did when he walked the earth. He's still healing the sick. People are still repenting and believing in the good news of Jesus. Miracles are still happening. Lives are being transformed. Peace is being flung upon the earth from heaven. But now it's happening in all nations, to all people, all at once. It's happening in North Korea, it's happening in Newcastle, it's happening in the United States of America, it's happening in Palestine and Israel, it's happening in Africa, it's happening in South America, and it's because Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father and his ministry has a universal cosmic scope. We can have access to Jesus wherever and whenever we are. Now, if that is the truth, that should completely change the way that we walk into work tomorrow morning. That should change the way that we bring up our children. It should change the way that we think about our friendships, our marriages, our callings. Because it means that we have access to the power of Jesus whenever we are. And so we can walk into our workplaces with our head held high, knowing that Jesus is active and working for us. It also means that the jobs that we have are absolutely fundamental and crucial. It's not just about being a vicar or being an ordinand or working for a church. Whatever it is that we are called to do, Jesus is working with us and for us in that place. We can have access to Jesus wherever and whenever we are. The second reason that the ascension changes everything is that the New Testament tells us, doesn't it, several times, that Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's our mediator, our great high priest. Now just think about that for a while. Jesus right now is sat at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for every single one of us. Isn't that an amazing thought? That the king of the universe knows you by name, knows exactly what you're going through, knows how many hairs are upon your head, knows every single detail of your life. And he's bringing them all before his father in prayer. Jesus is at the right hand of the father praying for your family. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for your job. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for your hopes, your dreams, your pain, your disappointment. Jesus is interceding for you. Now, I find that quite a mind-blowing truth. Again, that should change the way that I live my life. It should change the way that I face difficult circumstances or joyful circumstances. But, but it should also change the way that I pray. Because when I pray, I know that it's not just, if I'm praying with Brogan, for example, it's not just me and Brogan praying together. We're joining in, if we're praying in God's will, we're joining in with the prayers of Jesus himself. When we have a prayer meeting, it's not just a prayer meeting that happens in somebody's house. It's not just a prayer meeting that happens in a church building. It's not just a, a prayer meeting that happens outside. It's a prayer meeting that is, that's joining in with literally the prayers of heaven. 
This should fundamentally change the way that we pray. We can have access to Jesus wherever and whenever. Jesus is praying for us. And thirdly, if Jesus ascended, then it means that he's been enthroned as king of heaven, king of the universe, and he is returning. If Jesus really did ascend, and we believe that he did because the Bible tells us here and in Acts 1, then he's been crowned king of heaven. He's been crowned king and lord of all. And we serve him. We serve this king of heaven. And remember, he's always with us. Because of the ascension, because he gives the Holy Spirit, we'll hear more about that next, next week. Again, that should change the way that we behave. If we know that Jesus is always with us, he's always watching. By his spirit, God is present with us. Then that should change what we think about. It should change the way that we speak to one another. It should change the way that we behave to one another. It also means, as I've already said, that what we do now matters. When we're doing kingdom stuff, whether it's in the church or in our workplace, none of it is in vain because we're serving the king of the universe. Now, if he is king, he is, and he's ascended, he's also returning. And this is really good news for us because it means that one day Jesus will abolish all injustice, he'll end suffering, and he will destroy death forever. And we will be with him forever. This is why the ascension is so important. Remember, one of the things that the New Testament says, we've talked about this a lot over the past few weeks, is that we are in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, if I am in Christ, it means that everything that happened to Jesus in his life is also true of me. In Jesus' baptism, we see he goes under the water and out of the water, pointing to the fact he's going to take on sin and rise to new life, having defeated it. That is true for me. In my baptism, in my repentance and believing in Jesus, I die to self and rise to new life, Romans 6. The resurrection means that I'll get a new body. But if I'm in Christ and Jesus has gone to be in the presence of the Father forever after his earthly ministry, then what does it mean for me? It means that I too will ascend and be with God forever. We are in Christ. And this is why the ascension changes everything. Now, I don't know if we talk about this stuff enough. We talk a lot about Jesus' death and resurrection, and so we should. But the ascension is also something that fundamentally changes the way that we think about ourselves, about our faith, about the way that we live our lives. So let's just take a moment, uh, as the band come, in, um, come up on the stage, let's just take a moment to reflect on some of these truths. We're not just teaching this because it's a nice doctrine to teach. 
We're teaching it because it should radically change and transform the way that we live. So as a response, can I invite us to stand?